What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavalli coming at you without Andrew D. Bailey this time. I am, however, pleased to welcome back NBA Math founder, editor-in-chief, and editor for Bleacher Report, Adam Frommel. You can follow him on Twitter at Frommel09, and if he's here, you know that means we're getting back to our decade player ranking series for each franchise. We are up to the Detroit Pistons, so we are going to get to their Top 10 players of the past decade. Just in a minute, our usual housekeeping notes, though. Please remember to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. That is still the best, most efficient way for you to help out the podcast. We do appreciate whenever we see those numbers go up. If you have already uh, rated, reviewed, and subscribed to us on iTunes or wherever else you're getting your podcast, please, word of mouth can help as well. Retweet our promos for this. Tell your friends, family members, acquaintances, random, random people on social media. It will all be appreciated follow hardwood knox on twitter at hardwood knox you can follow us on youtube as well youtube.com search hardwood knox we will pop up subscribe like our videos that helps too you can help us in a lot of ways last but certainly not least shout out to our sponsors for this podcast betonline.ag as always and blue chew for this podcast you will be hearing their promo codes in just a few minutes so be sure to to use those if you have any interest in their products adam it has been a minute how are you doing you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm in a good mood, and I don't know if that's gonna last for the next hour or so. Cause like, spoiler alert to uh, the Pistons fans who are listening to this one, but I I have a feeling we're not gonna say many good things about this franchise. You know what I like about Pistons fans though? They seem to be they really it. in tune with their turmoil. They understand right. it. They recognize it. They acknowledge it. Where I do feel like some fan bases get unnecessarily combative, or they have these diluted opinions of how. Their franchise is still just one step away from from making a huge leap or maybe that they've done a better job than most people think. And there have been teams that are worse over the past decade than than the Pistons. Shout out New York Knicks. But um, I, I respect the Pistons fans embracing it. And as a, another quick housekeeping note, as you might hear in the background, we still do have new puppies around these parts at the Danfa Valley household so uh, thor's with me right now he's attempting to break out of his big ass puppy bubble that i have for him um so if he if he goes rogue just don't mind that this is real podcasting we're not editing out any puppies we made that decision before we started but yeah shout out shout out to pistons fans because again there are fan bases that don't really lean into the problems their franchises have had and i respect that pistons fans are just acutely aware of not just their current situation but what has happened over the past decade or so 
Yeah, and, and before we dive into the actual rankings, can we just take a moment to like discuss how bad this decade has been for the Pistons too? Because I think it's worth noting before we talk about the players is just like the complete lack of team success. We had one 500 season last year. They went 44 and 38 in 2015-16. That was the high water point, but they have literally not won a playoff game this entire decade. They've made the postseason twice. They got swept in the first round both times. And I think the highlight of the entire decade is probably Stan Van Gundy telling them to build a fucking wall. <laughs> and when when a viral moment from a coach in a huddle is probably the most memorable moment of your decade, not good. No, I'm with you. They have the end during this stretch between 2010, 2011, and now they have the 23rd highest winning percentage in the NBA, a cool 41.4. Like, I would rather be the Charlotte Hornets or something and, and just be like as bottomed out as possible because they have been on that mediocrity treadmill the entire time. Yeah, there there's some there's some rough teams though in that stretch. You have Sacramento, Minnesota, Phoenix, the Knicks, Orlando, the Nets, the Hornets. There's definitely a case to be made that I feel like the Pistons situation this past decade is wor- worse than that win percentage just reflects. Yeah, I, I just I look at like the division finishes and they've been third or fourth out of five teams in the division all but two seasons. And during their two last place division finishes, one in 2017, one in 2015, they won 37 and 32 games. So it's not like they were bottoming out with respect to the entire NBA and getting a top draft pick. Like they've, they've never been the worst. They've just been consistently bad. And that, that's not where you want to be. I'm sorry, Pistons fans. We're not trying to hate. We're more trying to commiserate with you because we have to talk about them now. Yeah. And some of it is bad timing or beyond their control. I don't know if you should have ever given out that Reggie Jackson contract, John Wall. Or the Josh Smith one. Well, the Josh Smith one was inexcusable, but the Reggie Jackson was just good when he was healthy, was then never healthy. They also invested in Andre Drummond at a time when he would have commanded that contract probably had he reached the open market. But yet now is when the idea of rebuilding around a big man who doesn't really do a lot off the dribble or space the floor for you, um, it's deteriorated. That's just whole idea. So some of it's just been bad timing and you can't absolve the front office of, of all those decisions. Also putting Stan Van Gundy in charge of the front office and uh, naming him the head coach. That was always felt like it was going to be whenever someone has has had those titles in the NBA. It, it really hasn't turned out well. So or the NFL. Shout out to Bill O'Brien. I don't even know what the Texans are doing right now. This is a basketball podcast, though. Let's not. We can pour. The Texans are awful. Uh, they've already been eliminated from NFL playoff contention. So I apologize to Deshaun Watson. Can you start us off with our consolidated ranking, Adam? And just as a reminder, since it's been a couple weeks since we've done one of these episodes, and they will be coming out a little bit more regularly now, um, we have. Adam's rankings, my rankings, and then we have a fan poll that you can check out. Go to NBA underscore math on Twitter, and we're going to have those polls out there. So you can have your input in all of these rankings, and then Adam consolidates those together, and we have our composite pecking order. So who starts us off at number 10, Adam? Uh, Number 10 in our composite rankings is Marcus Morris Sr. He was number eight in the fan vote. He did not make either of our top 10s. He was was in consideration for for that 10 spot because the two seasons that he had um, earlier in this decade were were pretty solid ones. I don't know that he'd reached the level that he did with the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Clippers lately. And I'm, I'm curious if you gave him any consideration for your 10th spot. Mine went to Ish Smith. Yours went to Reggie Bullock. 
but I would imagine we both considered each other's choices because yeah. I, I certainly did with Bullock. Look, Ish Smith was there for me. Marcus Morris was there for me. I even I even considered Will Bynum for a hot minute. Langston Galloway, it, I was all over the place. Kyle Singer, Oliver and Jarebko were really close for me too. I didn't really give I didn't give Jarebko even a modicum of consideration. I did look at um, Anthony Tolliver for a hot second, but neither of those two were really serious ones for me. So. I get Marcus Morris finishing 10th. Like, he was solid during those two seasons, but he was not really the shooter that he ended up kind of becoming in Boston, and then he definitely wasn't having the season he had in New York this past year before he was traded to the Clippers and his efficiency fell off a cliff. What's always really been interesting with him is he's one of those guys where I'm not so sure that he can thrive as that pure complementary scorer. And I, I say I always say this because it's weird to me, in those roles – theoretically, you should be getting easier shots. I just always look at off-ball shots as the easier, higher-quality shots, and I'm sure that's not the... I'm, I'm, sure that's, I'm sure that doesn't happen everywhere, and that's not correct in every single instance, but that's what's always fascinated him with me, is that in New York, this season would be a good example. He was just free to really dominate the ball and go at it. Now you go to Los Angeles, where 75-plus percent of his baskets are coming off assists, and he's just really not as efficient. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like a rhythm thing to it, and there's value in having a guy like that who was so comfortable working with the ball in his hands. And so he was solid and, and in consideration. I just I don't know if maybe some people are conflating him with the Marcus Morris that he became, again, in Boston as more of an efficient three-point shooter and then just watching what he did this year in New York. I feel like there might be a little bit of bias baked in there. Yeah, I think that that's my guess as well. Um, I don't remember Morris in Detroit being as as solid an all-around defender. I don't think that he was quite as strong as he has been these last couple of seasons, which has enabled him to to body up more against bigger front court players and and spend more time at power forward and and center in some small ball lineups. And to me, like his, his tenure in Detroit was kind of. The, the poor man's version of what we've seen these last couple seasons across the board. And that's what made it hard for him to work into my top 10 because he wasn't the shooter. He wasn't the versatile offensive option. He wasn't the switchable defender. He was good in those areas, but he wasn't as good as he is now. Reggie Bullock at number 10 for me, though, uh, I wouldn't say it was a no-brainer. We obviously just went through that, but he kind of just typified a a, a, mid- a mid-end 3 and D guy and could be just a difference maker because you can put him on a couple different positions on defense and then you could count on him to knock down open looks from three and then he had sort of the straight line drive to his game as well and then when you just look at you know there weren't a ton of players that had a a tenure in Detroit like a long tenure in Detroit during this time so if you have someone uh, who's gonna rank you know still top 20 in minutes played but he's not in the top 15 I I think I had enough juice to, to throw him in the top 10. Yeah, I, I don't hate that selection at all. For me, it, it was Smith, and it, it might have just been a little bit of a, a personal bias because I enjoy the the kind of way that he plays, just the the jitterbug point guard who is working to maximize more of the uh, the limited physical skills that he has, um, but never really stood out in any way. He's 10th in minutes played for Detroit over the decade. Uh, so I, I, there's not like a strong case for inclusion, but I don't really think there's a strong case for exclusion either. Who came in at number nine? At number nine, we have Brandon Jennings, which is sure to be a little bit controversial. He was uh, seventh from the fans. He was ninth from me. Uh, he did not appear on yours. You had Luke Kennard at, uh, in your ninth spot. Yeah, I just I don't associate Brandon Jennings with the Pistons at all. He was 14th in win shares during this time, and I actually did not know that he played when I first went about this. I didn't realize he played so close to 150 games with them, but... His time in Detroit just seems so wildly un- unspectacular. And perhaps you could say that about 
what happened in Milwaukee, and then we have to talk about you know the injury as part of that. But you know, if he had been able to piece together like a little bit more of an efficient run there, maybe. And I can't say I hate it because again, there are so many fringe guys uh, on this list. But he really, I gave more consideration to Ish Smith than I did to Brandon Jennings. Brandon Jennings. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to give credit for the scoring ability that Jennings always had, and and was it inefficient? Sure, but given the lack of talent around him, like it was one of those situations where maybe it had to be a little bit because someone had to take those shots, and and he was a good tough shot maker, and a very good tough shot taker, and that's not always the uh, the balance of skills that you want. But again, like someone had to fill that role. Also, he and er- and Ersan Ilyasova were traded to Orlando to get Tobias Harris who has yet to show up in our rankings. And there's something to be said for that because he was still young enough and still had enough potential as an offensive weapon that there was there was some value there and his trade stock hadn't completely plummeted like it has in recent seasons. Did you, I had Luke Kennard at number nine. Did he even make your list at all? He didn't. He was in consideration and probably would have made it had he stayed healthy this season just because I, I really do believe in the trajectory that he's that he's been on recently that shot is is so pure he he seems to have a pretty high offensive ceiling but the awareness factor just hasn't been there yet for me right and there's you know even though he's been the the, the injuries i totally understand and knee tendonitis is kind of scary and then you're talking about he's only been there this was his third season and he didn't even play in in 30 games but just what he's kind of shown i felt like his role should have been expanded before this season like certainly as a sophomore he has more of just a pull-up jumper to his game than they than they allowed him to explore this season. And he's really made strides as a playmaker. They kind of dabbled with it over his first two years and maybe a little bit more as a sophomore, letting him run pick and roll. But he was pretty good in those situations this year. And if you can just have a guy who's going to shoot 39 40% from three, like clockwork, no matter the types of shots that they are from three, and I know that his volume isn't necessarily super high. We're, we're looking at around... Uh, six three-point attempts per 36 minutes for his career. That's not that's not nothing. And so to have that reliability there, I was I was really fascinated in just the type of season he was going to end up having before uh, the the knee tendonitis kicked in. You know, f- almost 16 points, four assists per game on 59 true shooting. That's absolutely legitimate. And again, he was handling the ball a lot more than he had in years past. And then you look at his you look at his shot profile and maybe he could stand to cut out some of the, you know, the in-between looks because it just doesn't get to the rim a ton. His game stalls out before there, but he takes so many threes and hits them at such a high clip that that really almost doesn't even matter. And so I don't think he's ever going to be someone that you necessarily want to have as your second or maybe even third best player on a team, but he feels like he can be one of those just like really good, really compatible role players where we're not going to put them in that fringe star conversation, but he's going to be that directly tier below again. Now we're talking about health pending because whenever we see knee injuries and particularly tendonitis in someone so young, uh, that's definitely a red flag. So I, I, I actually disagree a little bit. I, th- I think his ceiling is, is a bit higher than you have it. Um, I, I do think that I would be comfortable with him growing into a second or third option um, and just being such a good shooter that he could justify that. Even if he's not a great defender, he's not creating for himself as much and, and he doesn't finish plays around the rim. And I, I've I've been excited about his future, especially this year, which means that inevitably the Pistons will trade him. <laughs> I'm laughing because you said that, but also because my dog is going ballistic. <laughs> but um, yeah, when I saw that they were thinking about trading him leading up to the trade deadline, that was from Woj, I believe. I was a little bit taken aback, but it kind of makes sense because he's extension eligible and now they're dealing with the injuries. I would think if you can get him 
I don't know what the cost would be at this point, but had it been this draft, would you have given up? A, would you have given up a lottery pick for Luke Kennard this season? Absolutely, I think without I question. Too. Without there's question. A, there's a. I think there's an argument to be had about the protections. Would you give up a top ten pick for him? I think I would lean toward yes, but just knowing how bad this draft is, I think certainly. I mean, I'm excited for when like the Lakers trade Kuzma for him or something. Uh, he is he's better than Kyle Kuzma. I don't know who he gets is. to hear this, but Luke Kennard is better than Kyle Kuzma. I think what really the conversation I think is interesting is you know maybe I went a little bit overboard by saying he can't be your number three, but you know we're talking about the Nets can hold out hope that maybe Karis LeVert becomes their sort of third wheel to having two stars. Luke Kennard could be a similar type of player mm-hmm. that role, not the same type of game, and he might even be better than Karis LeVert right now. His offense is certainly more efficient. I just don't think he's shouldered as, as much of the from-scratch burden to this point. That's not a comparison I thought that I'd be making during yeah, this I, podcast. Yeah, this is not right. where I saw this going at all. Attention, Hardwood Knox listeners. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can also bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the nation's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Which means that I think it's time for you to t- take us to, to number eight. So at number eight, we have Rodney Stuckey. He was 10th from the fans, he was 7th for me, and he was 8th for you. So kind of all over the place there, but at least we all, all three sets did have him within the top 10. And and for me, he was like the embodiment of our, our thereness concept for this franchise, where nothing that he did in Detroit was spectacular. He was never a shooter. He never fancied himself a shooter. He was instead just kind of that that steady combo guard who could fill multiple roles, who was a decent facilitator and avoided mistakes and was just kind of there. Um, Stucky Stucky is actually fifth in minutes played for the franchise um, over the last decade, which definitely matters when we've seen so few people have long tenures in Detroit over the last 10 years. And I'm not sure that I have too many more positives to say about him right now. There's not much I can add. It is look, he could he could score. He put points on the board. But there's if you just remember, there's a moment in time, maybe like a span of one or two years, and I think only one of which would really overlap with the period we're talking about. Maybe in 2010, 2011, he was still viewed in this vein. But it looked like the Pistons were trying to treat him as this like cornerstone that they were going to rebuild around. And that right. was just a massive over exaggeration of the type of player that he actually was. But between, you know, him being able to get points does have a couple good years to sprinkle in there. And then, you know, just relative to the, to the rest of the field, uh, his thereness factor is, is through the roof here. As you said, he's fifth in minutes played. So uh, there's not really much I can add. I honestly, before we even started doing research for this, like he's just one of those players that yes, you knew who he was and you remember him, but it just, I hadn't thought about Rodney Stuckey in quite some time. I think the most fitting tribute to Rodney Stuckey would just be to move on to number seven here. (laughs) No, that's too efficient. We need to keep going. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. I'm, I'm going to reveal that at, at number seven, we have Tayshawn Prince, um, who is a bit of a tricky one to rank just because he spent so much time in Detroit that it was preceding the decade that we're looking at. So we only have the last two and a half seasons of his time with the Pistons. And at that point, 
he'd already devolved. He wasn't, he was still a, a, a role player on offense who could put up some points, who could put up some, some assists. He wasn't quite the rangy defender that he was in his prime. And I think it's telling that his, his Pistons tenure ended in a three-team trade with the Memphis Grizzlies and Toronto Raptors in which Detroit sent him and Austin Day to Memphis and only got back Jose Calderon. So the fans had Tayshaun Prince at nine. I had him at, I had him at eight. You had him at seven. So as the uh, the highest on Prince, I'm, I'm curious if you have more positive things to say about him. Look, I mean, so during the span that we're looking at, he still shot 37.4% from three. Uh, not, right. ex- not exactly a shining true shooting percentage, sub 50 there. And so he could still do that. I was just impressed that he ranked sixth in minutes played during this decade because like you, I'm just associating him with the team's before this and so I think I underestimated how long that Tayshaun Prince was was in Detroit and so the thereness factor really really swung me there and look I'm probably giving him a bump because of his legacy in Detroit and I'm I'm honestly not going to apologize for that I don't think you should I don't think you need to at all is he one of the if we're talking macro conversation is he one of the more underrated players in NBA history um I don't think so just because I feel like he gets a lot of credit and deserves that credit for his role on that title winning Pistons team and the early part of his career with the franchise. I think he's still associated with those teams and you know, he was, he was never an all-star. He never should have been an all-star. He was an all defensive player. And I think he's recognized as such. I don't, I don't know that I would really classify him as a guy that like doesn't get love that he deserves. Yeah. I'm just wondering if people just forget how good he was defensively. I will say it does seem like he gets more public shine than Sean Marion, one of the most just underappreciated players the right. NBA has ever seen. So if we want to use that as a gauge, then no, Tayshaun Prince is probably pop- properly rated. But you know who's not one of the most underrated players is Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who checks in at number six for us. He was number six for the fans. He was number six for me. He was number five for you. His career has been weird. It's just been really strange, like both his time in Detroit and his time with the Lakers, where it always feels like they're shopping him and he might go, but he's not going to. And then he somehow has a no trade clause and he shoots just well enough to like keep hope alive that he's going to develop into this three and D asset. But then he follows that up with a poor shooting season. And like he was there, he played tough defense against a lot of wings. He made some big shots, but I, I don't know. He's, his career has just confused me, even dating back to his time at Georgia, where he was surrounded by just a complete lack of talent. And we couldn't figure out if his low shooting percentages were because opponents could focus on him so much or if his shot wasn't as good as we thought it might be. It's like this, this the conundrum has followed him at every one of his locations so far. Yeah, I missed on KCP. I remember having arguments on Twitter because I thought it was blasphemous that the Knicks gave Tim Hardaway Jr., four years and I think $70 million at the time, which was still not a great deal given what the market was. Uh, maybe that, that wasn't 20, that was 2017, excuse me. And then Contavious Caldwell Pope, I think ended up getting like a shorter term deal uh, with, he signed, what did he sign? He signed like a shorter term deal with the Lakers, excuse me. And so I was just arguing that he was miles better than Tim Hardaway Jr. And I, there's a part of me that would still rather have KCP on my team than Tim Hardaway Jr. Even given how good THJ has been, this season in Dallas, but everything you said, I'm in total agreement with. Uh, It helps this season. It doesn't help these rankings, but he's probably been the Lakers' second most consistent shooter 
this year. That's probably not a good situation to be in if you're them, though. What I did always respect about him is that he was he's kind of maybe his defensive reputation was just overblown, but he always did work on that end of the floor, and he kind of had some tertiary playmaking to his game while he was in Detroit, particularly towards the end of of that tenure, and that's ultimately what helped me become so high on him. But again, he's just one of the players that completely missed on. I I probably gave him too much credit thinking that his efficiency would would sort of stabilize. And he's, you know, unless you're going to be on a team with the Lakers where you have one of the best playmakers in NBA history setting you up, like, you you know, you're probably not going to be as efficient inside the arc as a play finisher. But still, someone who, if you can deal with his transition heat checks, which I'm willing to deal with, he's still an impactful player. And I think, I don't know, had he signed, it was five-year, $80 million deal with Detroit, which would still be going on. We'd be in his third season. It probably would be remembered as a bad contract, but there would have been worse ones given out over that time. And that's perhaps one of the biggest mm-hmm. compliments that I can give. Yeah, and I think the other biggest compliment is is our thereness factor, where he's third in minutes played for the franchise over the last decade. And I don't know if that's impressive by him or, or sad by the front office, but it's it's a thing either way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he always, he did, like, during his two final seasons in Detroit, just played a ton of minutes. And so there was a guy who, yeah, his defensive workload was fairly heavy. And to, to play that many minutes, he was at 37 in 2015-2016 and then 33-plus in 2016-2017. Uh, and he's, his availability hasn't really been a problem except for when he was under that work uh, prison arrangement with uh, with the Lakers. Right. Like he's always – his thereness has been like one of his biggest attributes. So One of the things – Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm comfortable putting him... I had him a little higher than than sixth. I had him fifth, and I'm comfortable putting him there. I was going to say, one of the things that I, I associate most with his time in, in Detroit, I'm not sure how, how cleaning the glass classifies him, but I, I remember that the basketball reference had 100% of his minutes coming at the two for each of his last two seasons in Detroit, which is just unique. I, I don't think in this age of, of malleability and, and small ball lineups that we see guys who are so obviously pigeonholed into one specific position, but he was like, he was never the primary ball handler. He always played with an actual point guard and he was always the smaller of the wings. Yeah. I mean, you very rarely have a one position player, particularly when you're talking about perimeter players, like you get like centers and then even like some power forwards where it's, where it's like Jabari Parker is clearly just a four. Like he can't be a three. He definitely can't be a five. He's just a four. So it's very rarely that you see like these, and I guess point guards can pretty much be one position players, but but yeah, that is really something interesting. And that's part of what made me so high on him is I thought that he was going to continue to improve as as a setup mm-hmm. man. And that, that leap was just never made. It was not. Number five we're up to. Number five is Reggie Jackson. He was uh, number five for the fans. He was number five for me, and he was number four for you. And I feel like we can probably agree that we thought he was going to be higher at some point. And I'm not sure when that point was, if it was when Detroit acquired him from Oklahoma City and he was still coming off those successful seasons as a sixth man, or the season after that when he he showed that he could be more of an offensive focal point before the knee injuries kind of sapped some of the athleticism and forced him into a bit of a premature decline. But he's he did not live up to the expectations in Detroit, but he wasn't bad either. Do you think that's a fair way to put it? Yeah, I mean, look, 2015-2016 Reggie Jackson, his first full season in, in Detroit, was ridiculously good. Yeah. And there was there was just a time where, like, the pick and rolls with Andre between he and Andre Drummond, it was just straight up 
money. And we're saying that when Detroit didn't always have the most pristine spacing around them. And so I, there's probably a chance that, you know, I don't know how much higher he could have gotten looking at the players in front of him. Uh, never would have surpassed who, who I think will be the consensus number one. But he probably could have been top three or top two if he ended up staying healthy. Uh, it was just availability became just this huge problem for him after that uh, first full season in Detroit. You know, uh, missed 30 games in 2016-2017, missed 37 games in 2017-2018. I did not know that he played in All-82 last year in 2018-2019. Mm-hmm. So, but just by that point, you're in a smaller role. Um, you know, his his three-point percentage the past two seasons in Detroit before he was uh, bought out, he had only made 14 appearances with the Pistons this year. Like, I guess that kind of stabilized a little bit, and I do think he was probably a better set shooter than he was ever given credit for, but he took definitely questionable shots when he was on ball, and he just never seemed to provide that offensive steadiness again beyond really that first season. And there, if you look at some of the metrics too, though, when he was on the floor a lot of these times, their offenses could be be better, and he's probably the closest they've come aside from Derrick Rose during his Jackson's period in uh, Detroit to having that type of offensive just facilitator, someone who can really um, command the entire floor. But sort of a, I don't even know, if, is this, is this an, a tenure of missed opportunity for him? Is, is there a level of what if given the injuries? Or do you just think he was always uh, overburdened with expectations when they signed him to, to that deal where they kind of just looked at him and said, you are our franchise point guard? I think it was overburdening, and I, I, I'm not even sure that when he signed that deal, there was the the expectation that he was going to be a franchise point guard. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like he was never going to be a franchise savior so much as a crucial piece next to Drummond and the other pieces that they already had there. But that said, like, and granted, this is only a 44 win season where they got swept in the first round, but I do think it's telling that his best season, that 2015-16, that 2015-16 campaign was the one that led to Detroit's best season of the decade. Um, It it was clear that he elevated their ceiling when he was healthy, um, when he was at his peak level. But I think it's also telling how limited that ceiling still was. I'm with you. Who checks in at number four? At number four, we have Blake Griffin, who was second from the fans. He was third for me, and he was down in sixth for you. he was the player I had the most trouble ranking. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it's just because the highs and the lows of his very brief time in Detroit are, are so, so polar opposites. Um, he's only 18th in minutes played for the decade because he was acquired towards the end of that 2017-18 season. Um, then his 2018-19 year was just absolutely brilliant. I think you can make an argument that it's the best season by a Piston maybe since prime Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. Um, Maybe you want to go even further back than that. But then he was a disaster this season for 18 games before he was shut down with those knee injuries. And now his contract is problematic and it's unclear whether he's ever going to return to a quality level, much less an all-star level. Yeah, there was a tug of war here for me just because it's how much do you wait that 2018-2019 season. I think you can wait it heavily because – this man was playing on like one leg in the playoffs. I know they were swept, but the fact that he played through that, I, I think it absolutely counts for something. And it's unfortunate that he really just it doesn't seem like he ever fully recovered. And so he ends up getting shut down for the rest of this year. But 2018-2019, Blake Griffin was absurd. And here's what I, I, I wrote this um, over the summer when I ranked him as the 17th best player 
in the NBA at the time, and we were assuming full health. That year, Griffin ran more pick-and-rolls per game than Eric Bledsoe. He hit more pull-up threes than rookie Trey Young. And if you're not impressed by him out-voluming a rookie, uh, he also drained more pull-up threes than all but seven players in the league. He finished in isolation about as frequently as Paul George, Kyrie Irving, Zach Levine, and Damian Lillard. And he assisted on a higher percentage of his team's basket when in the game than Stephen Curry. Just yeah, absolute, yeah, I mean... he, absolute stud that year. So I think it was... I would have, if if I had more guts, maybe, I would have put him higher because I know you did. I had him at six, which is why I didn't mention him before because I knew we were going to get to him. But the fact that he could be put in sixth after really having, like, what do you want to say, like a season and a, a third of a case, that's mm-hmm. probably both telltale of the Pistons situation, but also how really ridiculously good he was last year. 2018-19 for me was what we wanted Blake Griffin to become from the beginning. When he entered the league out of Oklahoma as just this uber athletic dunk bot who didn't have any sort of perimeter game, but clearly wanted to develop that. He hadn't become a great facilitator, but he wanted to become that. You could tell by the passes he was trying to make and the role he was trying to fill on those Clippers teams next to next to Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan, but he wasn't there yet. And that this that year with Detroit, Everything came together. The jumper connected, as as you mentioned with those pull-up threes. He became a reliable source for initiating the offense from anywhere on the court, whether it was running a transition opportunity or running a pick and roll or once a play broke down um, within the half court, he could bail them out by creating for himself and by creating for his teammates. It was like the evolutionary version of Blake Griffin that we wanted to see for so long. And it was so rewarding when that came together. And it's also just, it's so, it's so unfortunate that it lasted for such a short duration. Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, he just, he got an opportunity that he never really had with the Clippers until Chris Paul left. And then he was just there like for so short a time without CP3 that this was really, I feel like the first opportunity he had at turning into that player. And look, he has two years left on his deal. It's obviously not a good deal at this point, but if he gets healthy, he can still be an impactful player. I don't think that if you're the Pistons and you're trying to rebuild, yes, that certainly complicates things, but he's still, I do think at full strength, he's still someone that almost on his own can help you punch a playoff ticket. Plus, he's just easy to root for. I mean, the guy plays his butt off. He's tried to play through injuries. He's a really funny guy, and he's good at being funny. He's socially aware. He tries to do what's right for his community. Like, Griffin, just to me, from the start, really, has been a guy who's just he's it's very easy to want to see him succeed. Right. And it's not just because of the mozgoving and dunking all over everyone, even though that's part of it. Guys, are you looking to last longer than the value of a New York Knicks first round draft pick? Get the Bluetooth.com. Bluetooth.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. 
Another guy who I think is easy to root for comes in and checks in at number three. You are correct. It's Tobias Harris, who was number four for the fans, number four for me, and up at number two for you. Just he probably, I recognize that he just wasn't there. He spent, I don't even think he was there for two full seasons. Um, yeah, midseason. Outside 20... top 10 minutes played, yeah. Yeah, so, but just a buckets getter, and that's where it really became clear that, oh, he's legitimately good. And he helped him get Blake Griffin, who I don't think anyone necessarily was in favor of that trade at the time, but they he was a key piece in them getting someone who's a superstar. But as a scorer, I, I think he's probably been overtaxed in certain situations. Like, he can't shoulder the burden that Jimmy Butler can there's his game kind of stalls out where Butler, if he did, even doesn't, if he doesn't have his efficiency from the perimeter, like he's just going to get to the line in, in gobs. And that's never been Tobias Harris's style. And do you trust him in crunch time to be your face up weapon going downhill, but he can hit pull up jumpers. He's turned into a pretty good three point shooter. He's turned into someone who's not so much of a ball stopper. Um, he can play the three or the four. I definitely like to see him play. I, I prefer him at the four personally. And, so to have that well-rounded scoring, to be relatively efficient during his time in Detroit while he did it, and the context being this is when it was, yeah, okay, it was like kind of cute what he was doing in Orlando, but it was while he was in Detroit where it was all of a sudden became clear, like, oh, he's really, really good. And so uh, shout-out to the Bucks for trading him, trading to him, trading him to Orlando in the first place. But so I'm probably – maybe I'm overrating his entire – NBA career in this, but he was just so good in the time that he was with Detroit that I I don't I didn't feel like it was too much of a stretch to put him in that number two spot. For me, the the three things that I associate most with Tobias Harris are the bromance with Boban Marjanovic, which is fantastic and should be promoted at every stop and every opportunity. Two is the constant improvement. Um, just dating back to that rookie season with Milwaukee and then his sophomore season where he was sent to Orlando and then his time in Orlando and his time in Detroit and then the start of his time with the Clippers and maybe even um, a little bit of his time with Philadelphia. Like he's just consistently gotten better and unlocked more pieces of his game and become one of those all around weapons who just has such an amorphous identity that he can fill any, any role that needs to be filled. And then the third thing is just like, how is a guy this this good and valuable on the offensive end, especially been traded so frequently? Right. Now it makes sense because he's going to be on the five-year, $180 million deal. But before right. this, to have been, all right, clearly overlooked like in Milwaukee, but in Orlando, good. Detroit, good. Los Angeles, really good. Fringe, fringe all-star um, that uh, in 2018, 2019, before he was then traded to Philly. Again, just who's the last player that was this good, like in real time, not someone who was traded after his prime, right. but that was this good that was moved so damn often. I have no answers. And and it even goes beyond that because he was moved twice as a draft pick too. So I, I, I don't know that we really get to include those in the career transactions, but the New Orleans Hornets traded the 2011 first round pick that was used to get him to the Portland Trailblazers to acquire Jared Bayless. And then the Blazers moved him um, with Dante Cunningham, Sean Marks, uh, the vanilla gorilla who keeps making an appearance in these podcasts somehow and a first round pick an for Gerald Wallace. I do. I'm trying to mention him at every opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, before before he landed in Charlotte, which then traded him to Milwaukee before he'd even played a game, he'd been traded three times. It's crazy that two of those like he was traded before he was even just like his draft was there like twice. Yeah. That's what's just great. Yeah. It's like as a future draft pick traded twice, which is pretty apropos for what's happened during his yeah. career. 
twice as a future draft pick, once on the day of the draft, and then four times since he started playing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't have I don't I don't know if there's a quick way to dig through transaction history and figure out if that's a record for a guy playing at his level, but I let, let's just go ahead and say definitively that it is that Tobias Harris is the most traded good player ever. Like picture if Luke Ridnauer was actually good. Yeah, exactly. Although he gets traded like in the same day, basically. So that's like Luke Ridnauer is the goat of trading. <laughs> who comes in at number two? At number two, we have Greg Monroe, who was second for me, and he was third for both you and the fans. Um, I, I struggled with with Monroe, Griffin, and Tobias Harris. I I felt like I could have had them in any order, just depending on whether we were valuing peak level reached, um, the the valuable contributions to the franchise, the fairness factors. You know, Mon- Monroe never became an all-star for the Pistons, but he was a reliable interior scorer right as that role was starting to be phased out. If he'd right. come around a decade earlier, like he would have been really good and very valuable, like almost an Al Jefferson kind of player. Um, where he had a lot of post-up moves. He had soft touch around the basket. He had some ambidexterity with his his face-up and post moves. Um, but it didn't work next to Andre Drummond. It didn't work when they tried to go super big. Um, and he never elevated this team into, into a, a unit that any organization in the Eastern Conference was going to fear if they managed to make it to the playoffs. Yeah, just... I mean... The thing I like most about DeAndre Ayton Sr. is that he was super crafty with his footwork when he was just on on sort of the block. And he became – he like turned into – Official a, nickname, right? Yeah. I was just waiting to see if you would uh, acknowledge that at all. But he turned into like a pretty serviceable playmaker as he got towards the middle of his career. I would just like to remind people that like, Greg Monroe was only 29. Like you talk about just how much a smack you in the face – dose of reality his career arc became because he was such this he was such a sought after free agent in 2015 uh, the game has just evolved so fast and he was one of those guys who never really had too much of a jumper i'm not trying to insult deandre ayton uh here Greg Monroe, first of all in his prime which is weird to say because he's only 29 <laughs> but he was he was really good so it's not actually that much of an insult uh it's just it's interesting to think that at one point and maybe it was never really a debate within Detroit because it seemed pretty clearly that they favored Drummond, but there was like a nationally, it was a, do you keep Monroe or Drummond type thing? Like that's how good he was. Yeah. So I, I, I was, I honestly respect the career that he was able to carve out. Uh, he's probably definitely someone that wishes he signed more than a two plus one in 2015. And I'm sure that those deals were on the table for him at the time. I do wonder what would have happened had he been with the team or had Detroit maybe just surrounded him with more spacing in general. Because the fact that him and Drummond were tasked with playing together at all during their time in Detroit, like that's borderline functional malpractice. Even, you know, we're talking about much earlier in this decade, even still that was that was just really kind of shrinking your, your spacing by a huge margin. I feel like it could have worked had the timeline been a little bit different because recent Andre Drummond has been able to operate from the perimeter as as a ball handler and as a secondary facilitator a little more like it's still not really where you want him on the court but I think that partnership could have been a little bit more successful had we seen the more evolved version of Drummond next to the interior scorer that was Monroe but we just didn't get a chance to and I mean look they they basically they tested out for like two seasons basically right before he was kind of yeah yeah whether he tried to stagger them a little bit or no it was basically his final two seasons I feel like 
that was when it was. And also, he's, I think, the only player to just sign the qualifying offer instead of going into restricted free agency, just for Knicks fans who were so concerned yep. that Christos Porzingis was actually going to leave of his own volition at, at some point. He was never going to sign that qualifying offer coming off an ACL injury. Fun, fun little side note there. But Well, I, I remember at the time, because I, I believe I wrote about this when it happened, like we thought that it might be the beginning of a, of a trend where players were betting on themselves a little bit more. Um, but that, that just never developed into anything probably because it didn't work out so well for him. Do you know what's a damn shame that Chris Middleton never got the opportunity to be on this list? That might be considered trolling, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, like we've already trolled enough just by talking about the last decade for the Pistons. Who is number one? The suspense is freaking killing me. I know it's, it's a, uh, it's Andre Drummond. I'm sorry to, to spoil it with no drum roll or anything, but you know, he, he was number one for you. He was number one for me. He was number one on all but one of the fan ballots that were submitted. And I don't think there's any doubt, which means that it's time for the once a podcast trivia question for Dan, oh, where I see how embarrassed he's going to get when he doesn't know the correct answer. Are you ready? Uh, I'm absolutely not ready, which means that you're about <laughs> to fire away. <laughs> where is Andre Drummond? in Pistons history and career win chairs and who's number one. Oh my God. I have no idea where he would be for his career. Uh, let's say, let's say five. How off am I there? You're off by two spots. Is he seven or three? He is seven. Okay. You guessed Chauncey Billups's spot. Shout out Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot. Who is number one? Is this an obvious answer that I'm going to kick myself when I miss it? Nope. All right, so at least I don't have to pick Isaiah Thomas. I forgot that I had to say something because I was shaking my head, but obviously our listeners can't hear that. Uh, it's not Melo. Isaiah Thomas is fourth. It's not Mellow because they didn't draft him. I'm just trying to stall by taking shots <laughs> out of the organization. It's not Darko. Is it Ben Wallace? It is not Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace is sixth. Is it Dumars? It is not Dumars. Dumars is third. But you're moving in the right direction. Lambeer? Lambeer is number one. Okay. That's not, like, not obvious. Uh, he spent a lot of time there. Yeah. And played on a lot of good teams. But, yeah, he has 98.4 win shares with the Pistons. Second place is Bob Lanier at 91.6. Joe Dumars is third at 86.2. Isaiah Thomas at 80.7. Billups at 73.6. Wallace at 65.9. And Drummond has 60.4. Good for Andre Drummond. It, it's yeah. so crazy. He's just another example of how quickly the NBA has changed because now it doesn't even feel like there's room for these pure fives, like guys who can work as a, a as a rim roller, and he's probably not the most switchable on the defensive end. Like he, him being on the floor, I know he's had pretty poor guard play around him, which certainly hurts over this time, but it's never just guaranteed you even an okay defense. Still, to think about the numbers he puts up and then see that the Pistons traded him for – Two expiring contracts and a less favorable 2023 second round pick. I mean, the the answer is they gave him away. Right. That's, but that's what you're trying to say. Yeah. It's well, it's just still the but, less favorable second. Like you couldn't even get the more favorable right. of the Cleveland Golden State pick in 2023. I mean, yeah, this is this is a 26 year old who has a legitimate argument to be known as the best rebounder in NBA history. Ooh. I'm not saying he is. Okay. But like, if you want to put him up there with Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Dennis Rodman, Wes Unseld, like those guys, like Reggie you Evans. can do that. I, I believe that, I believe that Drummond is the all time leader in total rebound percentage. 
Um, he's just not playing in an era with as many missed shots or operating as quickly as as the league did in the 60s and 70s. But he's he's got to be up there in that conversation. And that's a valuable skill. But the NBA has evolved to such an extent that, again, a 26-year-old who is at least in that conversation in an important area of the game was given away at the trade deadline. And what probably really hurt him even like before this transition started happening is it's really tough, unless you're Rudy Gobert on defense, which he is not, it's really tough to build around a big who doesn't have the playmaking uh post game and he had there was he was his assists skyrocketed before the Blake Griffin trade like it was there for the Blake minute. Griffin trade really held him back right and there to see Andre Drummond like randomly leading fast breaks like that was kind of cool uh what's interesting though is so he has this maybe this is too current eventsy but it I think it ties into the conversation we're having is that he has a player option for this summer for 28.8 million dollars and I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to pick it up now how many mm-hmm. years, though, would it take him to recoup that recoup that money in his next contract? I mean, I I don't think that he would get anything more than like a, a four year million four year contract with like twelve million in so, annual average value. So we're on the same page. I think it would take at least three seasons for him to re, yeah. to get that all that money back, and that's just another harbinger of how quickly and how starkly the NBA has changed. Right, and and we're not talking about a guy who, like, accepted that he has limitations and hasn't worked to improve his game. Like, he's tried to take a, a few more jumpers. He's shown, that before, especially before Griffin came, that he could lead fast breaks, that he could serve as a secondary hub on, on half-court sets. He's improved his free-throw shooting dramatically. I mean, to the point that he went from one of the worst free throw shooters ever to making above 60 percent of his of his freebies for a season. Like this is a guy who's who's young and has shown that he has that work ethic, that he's immensely valuable, that he's durable, um, which cannot be taken for granted when you play such a physical bruising role. And it just, it just doesn't matter. And I also think like I just as a quick aside, like I hope that people understand that we're talking about more overarching Andre Drummond things because we have no need to justify that he's number one in the last decade. Yeah, I don't know who you would put. I, when it's these no-brainers, there's like, there's no uh, there's no uh, like Dirk in Dallas. Like, right. What, what, what do you want to talk? LeBron in Cleveland. What do you what do you want to like talk maybe, about? Maybe maybe Griffin had a better season than Drummond's best season, but like it was one compared to to Drummond, who's been there for almost the entire decade. It's it's almost kind of incredible that his defensive rebounding rate is what it is, just considering how inconsistent his motor has been on that end of the floor for basically his his entire career too. And so I don't, I, I think there's a case maybe that maybe there was a better player in there that he never really tapped into. But like you said, he did change his, his game. And now we, I think we might even be overselling how much change he made on the offensive end personally, but like he's, he has tried uh, different things and it's just, it's never really panned out. Part of that again is just the personnel that Detroit had around him during this stretch. But I do think that to expect him to be your best player, your primary building block, that was just probably something he was, he was never going to be. Still, that player is is an is an all star, multi time all star, and he was he was an all star in two thousand eighteen. This isn't even that he's twenty six. He was an all star in two thousand eighteen. I feel like we're talking about him like he just retired. Right, and I don't. I, maybe I am overselling the offensive changes, but I think part of the reason why is that we 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 saw what he was becoming, what he was trying to become, right before the Blake Griffin trade. And I, I don't think that Detroit needs to regret that trade, despite the albatross that is currently on their books, just because that 
2018-19 season was special enough to justify trading for him. But what might Drummond have become if they had instead allowed him to continue going through the growing pains and evolving into a different and and potentially better player? Yeah. Uh, And one of the things that I'll always remember him for is he has some of the NBA's hairiest shoulders. He did start shaving them at some point because I stopped noticing it on free throws, but he has some of the NBA's hairiest shoulders. So, so shout I'm, out to I'm him. I'm impressed by your observations there. He also had um, a short fling with iCarly's. What, what was it? Uh, oh yeah, I remember 30, that. I think is I that maybe I'm getting that. the access yeah. wrong there. I hope I'm not. It was like his second season, maybe. It's been a while. It's been it's been a minute. Uh, Jeanette McCurdy, yes. So. Just some fun Andre Drummond trivia if you were looking for it. And Adam gave you the actual basketball trivia where he stands in wind chairs for the Pistons over this decade. Who who do we have some honorable mentions for? I'm going to read the first name and then we can talk about him for a sec because it's Derek Rose. Um, he was very close to displacing Rodney Stuckey for 10th place on the fans ballot. And I kind of get it. Like I, I considered him briefly. Um, for the 10th spot on my own ballot just because the season that he he had this year especially you know like the it it was the first time in a while that we've seen rose look more like vintage rose while also accepting some of the newfound limitations and it allowed him to become a much more valuable presence in the backcourt right and what i really liked from him this season is it wasn't just you know, he was hitting his mid-range jumpers, of course, finishing around the rim uh, fairly well. But he was elevating the play of his teammate, teammates. He was really Detroit's just offensive lifeline for really long stretches. And uh, Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic, and LeBron are the only three players in the league who assisted on more corner threes this year. And I think that's just a good barometer for how valuable he was to Detroit because they weren't stockpiled with shooters to begin with, and yet he's causing so much chaos as he gets inside right. the arc, that these guys are just so open and he was able to find them. Uh, I did, actually did not consider him just because of the whole one season sample size thing, but yeah. I his season was this year was damn good. It was. So at, at 12th on the fan vote, we had Ish Smith. At 13, we had Luke Kennard. At 14, Reggie Bullock. At 15 was Christian Wood. Uh, my, my fun Christian, well, sort of fun Christian Wood story is, you know, he was in the middle of just this fantastic breakout. I think he's a long-term piece there. Um, right before the season was suspended because of the coronavirus pandemic, um, I had the night before everything went haywire and the season was suspended. I had scheduled a tweet on the NBA math account showing his roller player rating and how ridiculous it was that he it had segmented seasons because he wasn't staying in the NBA and then just this steep rise. Then it came out that he had been tested and was tested positive for the coronavirus. And I canceled the tweet three minutes before it was sent or scheduled to be sent. Um, and I'm so glad that I caught it because it just it would not have been appropriate to be talking about this guy's rise while he was dealing with a a virus (laughs) that's amazing i was really glad that i woke up on time to uh to cancel that one fun aside though i would have liked to have seen because he was in new orleans very briefly last year i actually would have been interested to see him play sometime with zion williamson had they brought him back absolutely and i feel like we'd been talking about wood as a breakout candidate for a while you know just because he showed his bounce in summer league and I think it was obvious that you could see the the physical profile there and it just, it really came together this year. 
Yeah, he was is, to- is coming together this year. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Did we talk about this season in the past tense? How does that work? I think we. I still think we use. I, I don't. Th- I don't think we can use the past tense until it's officially canceled. He was very solidly a top 100 player this year. I think absolutely. And so, and that's actually really commendable because it took Dwayne Casey so long to not play Thon Maker over him, and then he wasn't <laughs> inserted into the starting lineup until after the Andre Drummond trade. And speaking of Thon Maker, I'll continue rolling through the honorable mentions because he, he didn't is. Make it. He did get a vote. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> Shout out to the Maker family for participating. So after. Uh, after 15, Christian Wood, we had Will Bynum and Anthony Tolliver were tied for 16th. We had Jonas Jerebko, Brandon Knight, Langston Galloway, and for some unknown reason, Josh Smith tied for 18th place. I, That's a, I, I have, wh- yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Someone who just like maybe a Bulls fan. It was Arjun. I bet it was Arjun. Putting Josh Smith, why is he like that? Our, our technical director, Detroit? our technical director, who's a Bulls fan, and as we know, especially in this era of the Last Dance, the Bulls and the Pistons don't like each other. So I'm I'm gonna believe that that was an Arjun troll. Never mind that we're decades removed from that being relevant, but Arjun yeah, is still holding. He wasn't even alive for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to tell him that we talked about him on this podcast, and then make him listen to the whole Pistons thing to figure out why. Tell him it's like in the middle somewhere, and not at the very end. <laughs> Exactly. So behind Josh Smith, because he was not tied for last, um, tied for 22nd, we have Sekou Dumbuya, we have Boban Marjanovic, we have Thon Maker, we have Ben Wallace, and we have Charlie Villanueva. All right. I mean, those are. I'm just wondering how some those of are the, names. Yeah, yeah those are I'm names. just wondering how some of those votes come in when you're just looking at this decade specifically. Yeah, I mean, at least everyone played for the Pistons this decade. That has not been the case with some of the teams in the past. At least vote for Eric Moreland, you cowards. Right. I mean, I, I'm I'm thankful that we didn't get any Isaiah Thomas votes. Either Isaiah Thomas votes. Did Chris Middleton get any votes? That would have been Chris a Middleton vote. did not get any votes, but he probably should have because he's that good. Do you have anything else to offer on this subject? Oh, let's please just move on to another franchise. Wow. Adam's shitting on the Pistons more than I did, but... I am. Like, we just had to talk about the Pistons for an hour. Infinite and, uh, respect for Pistons fans, though. Let's make yeah, that clear. Yeah, exactly. And one of the exactly. smartest fan bases on NBA Twitter, if we're giving out superlatives. I'll, I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, I think I'm more comfortable shitting on the Pistons here just because, like, I think that the fan base largely accepts that and expects it and isn't going to come after us vociferously because it's justified. I hope your mentions just get blown up. At I Fommel, do, Throw cuss words at him, please. I'm used to it. We'll be back. The next time Adam is back, we will have the Golden State Warriors for you. That should be a fun one. Yeah, another franchise that just sucked for the last decade. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely awful. Uh, Light years behind. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was the Joe Lacob hashtag, was it not? Yeah. So we'll be back with them eventually. Uh, we'll also have the last dance, takeaways, deep dives, you know, beyond what we watched on TV on on sunday night those will continue to come out as long as the documentary is is running and i'm saying this realizing that it's probably going to come out after that one so it's dating it a little bit but there will still be one installment left of the last dance doc at that point please remember to rate review and subscribe to us on itunes thank everyone for listening until next time i leave you all with a shout out to detroit pistons legend josh harrelson
From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.